Good morning, church family. Again, we are glad that you have joined us today. As we continue a journey that we started over the last few weeks, we have begun to look at the life of Paul and to really try to dive in and understand this, this hero of the Christian faith. And we've, we've spent the last two weeks looking at his conversion. And there's, there's something that's interesting that has happened in this conversion, I think. And I can't wait to share what I've discovered this week. But to kind of set it up, I just wanted to talk about the situation that we're in and how it's impacted me. As you know, I am a sports fan. I love sports, and sports has been severely lacking over the last few months. And that has that has definitely been interesting to listen to on talk radio, sports talk radio. Um, it has been interesting because there hasn't been much to talk about, except for a groundbreaking free agent signing in football, the GOAT the greatest of all time at the quarterback position, Tom Brady, switched teams. I don't think anybody who follows football ever thought that would happen because, I mean, this guy has just been amazing. And But yet, here he is, he switched teams. He, He went from the AFC East, the AFC where the Patriots have gone to the Super Bowl, it feels like almost every other year where my poor chiefs have struggled but yet have overcome this year. Can I get a hallelujah out there in the Twitterverse? Um, they have overcome, but that I digress. Tom Brady left the AFC, and it's been interesting to listen to people talk and speculate what's happening on what's going to happen with the Patriots. Are they going to fall down into oblivion without the great quarterback, or is the coach going to bring them up out of the ashes? But the rest of the teams in the AFC have been so excited that they no longer have to face Tom Brady twice a year. They don't have to go through Tom Brady to get to the Super Bowl. This idea of switching teams, for those of us in Northern California, Joe Montana leaving to come to my Kansas City Chiefs, that was a great experience. All the way back to Babe Ruth, we can think of sports players who have switched teams and the power and and then the shift that is brought into those situations. Paul, or Saul as he's known at this time, also switched teams. It's more powerful to switch teams than just to leave a team. It's more powerful for a general in the army to defect to the other side than to be killed. He comes bringing knowledge. And this this idea of Paul moving to a different team, switching sides, going from working for the evil one to working for Christ, for the Christians who he persecuted, is a huge deal. It is a powerful thing. And today we're going to explore what comes out of that call. The last two weeks we have looked at that call, his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. Today we're going to spend time looking at what happened next. And what happens next, I would have gotten wrong. I was confused about what really happened next because I've just missed this one little verse. We so often approach the Bible, I think, 
wanting to have a chronological experience with it. Read it as a history telling, a day-to-day diary of what happened. But the Bible's not that way, and so we have to kind of sometimes search. And this week, I stumbled upon something I don't know that I've ever really noticed before. I invite you to take your Bibles with me. You can turn on your device. You can um, go get the family Bible, get the dust off of it, and open that up. Um, to the book of Acts. We'll be spending some time in Acts today. And I want to look at Acts starting in verse 20. So this is right after Paul has, Saul has been healed from his blindness and has moved on to begin to preach. So join me in reading Acts chapter 9, verse 20. Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not the one? Is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Verse 23. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Hellenists, or the Greek-speaking Jews. But they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. This is the story of what happened in Paul's life right after this conversion. The, The key part to kind of notice in this section is that little phrase that the author of Acts, Luke, uses, after many days. Um, Many days can mean many different things. A few days can be many days. I feel like just a few days ago I got married to Anna. I do know that it's been 15 years and five months and probably about 10 days. So I know how much it's been, but it feels like a few days ago I got married. It feels like a few days ago I moved to California. That's been two years ago. Paul, or Luke, when writing Acts, uses this term after a few days or after many days. We have no idea from this story what, how many days he's referring to. But here's one of the cool things, and it's this point that I just I'd never put together before. I invite you to turn with me over to Galatians. Because in Galatians, Paul writing to the church at Galatia references his conversion. 
and it provides some insight into what was going on. And I want to read that story with you. So this is Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 11. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. If you have a Bible, follow along with me. The Bible says, But I made known to you, this is Paul speaking to the church at Galatia, But I made known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, notice God's timing. Notice God's timing. When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. This is the important part that refers to that many days. Verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned to Damascus. Luke in Acts says, after many days, Paul in Galatians is telling us what happened during those many days. And then in verse 18, he tells us how many days that was. He says, then after three years. So for Luke in Acts, many days refers to approximately anywhere from what we would refer to as like, you know, two and a half years to three years, something like that. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. So here is the story of this time right after Saul's conversion. Saul has traveled to Arabia. Saul has moved to back to Damascus and then goes to Jerusalem. I think what I've always struggled with, with the Saul's Damascus experience, and I know in second in our second look class, even just a few weeks ago, I mentioned this. It seems unfair that Saul had such an amazing conversion experience. I've often wished and longed for this amazing conversion experience where I look back and can say, this is that exact moment where I saw God come to me and convict me and convert me, where I saw God call me to ministry. That was not a moment. That was a multi-year experience for me. And I've often felt jealous that Saul had it a little easy. But friends, I do not believe 
that Saul had any unfair advantage. Because we see in this moment, we see in this experience, these three years, that not much is said about, but that we can unpack a little bit. We can unpack what happened by making an, a few inferences and just reading what is, what is said by Paul there. We can know what he did. He went and spent time studying. He spent time alone. God's call to Saul did not give him any unfair advantage. Saul's, Saul's call and our call both require us to spend time with Jesus. Wrestling with the scripture. Learning to surrender. And understanding how to live with the assurance of grace and forgiveness in our lives. For three years, Paul left. Paul went away to a place where Nothing is written about what happened there. No churches are said to have started up by Paul in this time. Nothing is really said other than to say he was not taught anything about his call by man. It came from Jesus. So Paul or Saul demonstrated to all who heard him that his change of faith was not from impulse or fanaticism. This was not some change in his life that just occurred instantly and stayed there. It was a result of going and spending much time in study. It was brought about by overwhelming evidence. The evidence that Paul found in the scriptures, the evidence that Paul read in the Old Testament, the evidence that Jesus was really the Messiah is the evidence that sits in my hand here today is the evidence that sits in your hand today. Friends, God is pursuing you, longing to take you to a deeper understanding beyond anything you thought possible. Today, as we unpack these three lost years, we will see how in Paul's journey, God was pursuing him in his time. How God longed to take him to a deeper understanding away from the traditions that he had been taught and understood, away from the false reading of scripture that he had had, away from all of his misconceptions. God wanted to take him to a deeper understanding beyond anything that he thought possible. And that same is true today. God is pursuing us longing to take us to a deeper understanding beyond anything that we thought possible, even beyond human understanding. As we think about how Saul understood the scriptures, we need to begin to just kind of, we can look back at what his life had been before. In in pursuing and persecuting, Saul had spent time chasing down the followers of the way. He had heard stories about Christ. He had, he had heard these sermons. He listened to Stephen as Stephen was preaching in the synagogue right before he was stoned. He listened as he 
taught about Christ and about salvation and about what he had come to do. Saul listened to these things. He heard the stories, but he always talks about how he had a deep understanding. He always is referring to his great knowledge of Judaism. But in these three years, after he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, after he was healed from his blindness, he went away and spent close to three years in solitude and study. Saul went away to hear the still, small voice, the gentle whisper of grace. And we can see the results of this throughout his his writing to the churches for the rest of his career. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he talks about how he was moved beyond human wisdom. It says in the Bible, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That you, that your, that should say, I'm sure, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Our wisdom in our spiritual life cannot solely come from human, from wisdom, from pastors, from parents, from teachers, from anybody else. It has to come from an experience with Jesus. It has to come from a searching to know who he is. He has provided many ways for us to find him. And Saul, in this time, went away and spent time with Jesus. We can know all the stories. We can know all the scriptures, but not know the author. We must know the author to know the stories. God wants to bring us to a place where it's not just about the words on the page here in the scriptures, where it's not about that. And Paul went away and spent time searching and digging, something that you and I can do today. Paul did not have any unfair advantage. He was given the same call that we are. In God's time, he was called to come out of his wrong and come to know Jesus for who he truly was as the Messiah. To know the author of the stories. Friends, God is pursuing you. Longing to take you deeper into a deeper understanding beyond anything that you thought possible. Even beyond our pride. This was another area where Paul spent a lot of time writing and talking to uh, about pride and how he could boast. And he spent so much time talking about how he boasts in his weakness that we just have to assume that he spent plenty of time before boasting about his strength and his power and his, his effectiveness as a persecutor in the church. 
He, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, but more exceedingly zealous for traditions of my father. Paul was so educated, knew so much, had so much wisdom and understanding, had so much wisdom and understanding, but yet it was not about that. He said is he learned that it was not about pride in those three years that he spent away studying and searching with Christ. He was learning how to let go of his pride, learning to trust what Jesus was saying in his, in his life. In Philippians chapter three, verses four through six, he, he writes, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. He could, he had pride. He could be proud of that. If anybody could, he could. And then he gives a list. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He was so prideful. He had every reason to be proud, to trust in himself. But yet in those three years, he learned that it was not about his strength. It was about God's strength. Pride. Pride is an interesting thing. I saw a a story this week um, that I thought illustrated pride pretty well. A woodpecker is at his favorite tree, just pecking away. Anyway, sorry if I broke your speakers at home. Um, My bad. But the woodpecker's just pecking away. A storm is brewing, a storm comes up, and he can... He can feel, you know, in the air, the electricity of a lightning strike. And so he flies away from the tree just as a lightning bolt comes and destroys that tree. The woodpecker turns around and looks and says, wow, look what I did to that tree. That, that sometimes is the fallacy, the, the just craziness that we sometimes put on ourselves thinking what we have done. We look at something and say, look what I've done, not realizing that it's strength beyond anything that we could have. Second Corinthians 12, verse 9. Paul begins to talk about this grace switching over from pride, switching over to understanding the grace that comes from understanding his weakness. Second Corinthians 12 verse 9 says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. Saul had headed to Damascus with a posse to arrest these Christians, arrived at Damascus blind. And in Acts, we hear he left Damascus in a basket. His pride, his drive, 
was switched by the power of God working through that grace in his life, changing him to be someone who understood that it was the weaknesses that he had that brought power and glory to God. He could do this because he was pursued by God. Friends, again, God is pursuing you, longing to take you to a deeper understanding beyond anything you thought possible, even beyond the past. During that time in Arabia, during this time, we know Paul must have wrestled with the past. Just just imagine with me for a moment the baggage that Paul carried with him at this time. Remember, he had stood by approving as Stephen was stoned. He had gone out arrested, persecuted, gotten the followers of the way. He had done all of these things. And imagine the baggage that he carried with him. I just imagine in those three years spent in Arabia that Paul wrestled trying to come to grips with what he had done. During this time of solitude, Saul longed to know the assurance of Christ's grace. That time with God. The time that Paul spent there wrestling, pleading, coming to grips with the idea that God's grace was sufficient to cover all of that is the grace that still is available to you and to me. We sometimes have to face our pasts head on. After this three-year time of wrestling and learning and being taught by God out there in the Arabian desert, he returns to Jerusalem. He returns to Jerusalem where his old friends wanted to kill him. And his new friends were scared to death of him and didn't trust him. Where his new friends ran away and hid, not believing that this man they knew as Saul had really changed. It's easy to start over in new places. But God calls us to often return to places where we've been. And this was the case with Paul as he returned back to Jerusalem. He returned back to Jerusalem, but he could face his past because God was with him. I often think that we struggle to to deal with this in our lives, to truly understand how to face our past failings, how to stand up when we know we have done something wrong, how to face this. You know, we often make deals with God that say, hey, God, if you 
change my life, I will do something different for you. Or God, if you save me from this experience, I will, I will go out and serve you. Rudyard Kipling was a, a poet that wrote this somewhat famous poem, although I had never heard of it. Um, that just probably expresses my interest in poetry versus his famousness as a poet. Um, so that's my fault. But he wrote this famous poem called Mulholland's Vow. And in this poem, it speaks of this man who was a, a cattle a cattleman, essentially, um, on a ship. And one night this ship met up with this big storm and, and the cattle on the cattle deck got freaked out and began to break out of their pens and stampede around. The ship began to sink and these cattle were, were swimming along with, along with this gentleman trying to get out. And it's at this moment that he calls out to God, says, God, if you save me, I will follow you wherever you take me. He is saved from that experience, it survives the horns and hooves of the, of the cattle swimming ashore, gets, gets to the beach and doesn't forget his vow. And he says, God, I will go serve you wherever you want me to. But what he was really saying was, God, I'll go serve you in some new place, some new fantastic mission field I'll go to, not someplace I've been. But in this poem, Ruyard Kipling writes, No, I want you to go back to the cattle ships that you were on. Back to where you were from. Back there to preach the gospel. God sometimes calls us back to places we've been where we have to face our past. But here is the thing that is so important to know. Because I know that out there, many of us struggle to deal with our past mistakes. We struggle to understand the concept of forgiveness that God truly has forgiven us. We struggle to grasp these great truths. But Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14 writes, One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind Letting go of the things in the past, forgetting them, putting them away, not dwelling on them. And the only way to do that is to reach forward to the things which are ahead. I press on towards the goal, he writes, for the prize for which Christ called me upward. That is Tim's version mix-up right there. I did not read what was on the screen. I just said all the words from the four different versions that I like that verse from. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, whatever has happened in our past, God has called us to a different place. God is pursuing you. Longing to take you to a deeper understanding beyond anything you thought possible. This three-year period for Paul, after this grand conversion experience, something that none of us have experienced, 
is a reminder that it's not about how you are called. It's a reminder that you are called. It's a reminder that you have been called by Jesus into this relationship with him, into a time where you can learn to understand, learn to move past human wisdom into spiritual understanding, where you can move past your pride in the things which get in the way of your spiritual life, where you can move past your mistakes. When we say yes to God, when we begin to search for his ways and his wisdom, when we commune with God, the finite meets with the infinite and the result is beyond. When the finite of our human minds meets with the infinite God and begins to commune, the results will take us beyond. Beyond all that we could ask or imagine. No matter what you have done, no matter where you are, no matter if you have searched and searched for answers in the wrong places or answers that you haven't or cannot find. God is pursuing you, looking to take you deeper, to a deeper understanding beyond anything you thought possible. He desires to meet you and reveal himself to you personally. The same God that called Paul is calling us today. There's nothing that Paul experienced that was lasting and worthwhile that we can't experience. Our call may not come from a blinding light. It may come as a small flicker in the darkness. Our call may not come through a voice like thunder. It may come through a still, small voice, a gentle whisper of his love for you and his love for me. Paul searched. Paul struggled. Paul wrestled. Paul spent time with Jesus in that wilderness. And that is our call today. Friends, I invite you to spend time with Jesus. Know that he is pursuing you. Know that if you are facing away from him, if you turn around, he is right there waiting with arms open wide for you. Paul did not experience anything that we can't experience today. God is pursuing you, longing to take you into a deeper understanding of him, longing to bring you beyond anything that you thought possible. Please pray with me. Lord, today, 
we know that you have called us. Maybe we have forgotten that call. Maybe we have not responded to that call. But God, we know that you've called us. And Lord, in this time, may we spend time pursuing you because you have first pursued us. Lord, where we have failed and fallen short, we know that you have succeeded for us. So God, today, I pray that you will inspire us, that you will reveal yourselves to us in ways that we can't even begin to deny, that we will find time to spend surrendering our lives to you, moving into that deeper understanding of who you are in our lives and how you can take us beyond our pride, our past, and everything that gets in the way. We ask these things in the saving name of Jesus. Amen.